0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transportation Exchange podcast presented by Rush Truck Centers of Canada. I'm your host Jason Cuddy and on today's episode we're excited to welcome back James Menzies, editor of today's trucking and trucknews.com. James, welcome back to the podcast.
1: <laughs> thanks Jason, thanks
0: for having me. So we're going to do something a little bit different. We haven't done this before but given what our conversation was at the start of this year I thought it'd be kind of neat to reflect on halfway through 2022. What did we get right? What were <laughs> we off on and, and what surprised us? So uh, it's a different take on, on what we normally do, but let's kind of dive into you know what what we talked about last time. And I think one of the key things that we're expecting to see right around this time
1: was the new ELD mandate, and clearly that has changed. Yeah, a lot can happen in six months, right? Yeah, apparently, <laughs> um, The ELD mandate was supposed to be enforced as a, as of June, and for a very, variety of reasons, it's been pushed back yet again to January, January twenty twenty three. So, uh, there are some organizations that are quite relieved by that. They felt that they needed more time. They felt there weren't enough certified devices on the market. And then there are other organizations that thought that um, we just can't continue to defer this. Correct. And there are now a few dozen devices that are compliant. And the vast majority of fleets are already using a compliant device. But there are still probably a couple dozen more companies that are still in the process of getting their devices certified. The other issue is some of the technology that's needed for the handoff of the data from the ELD to the enforcement officers has yet to be developed. The technical standard is there, but they don't have the technology in place. So there's some enforcement issues as well that were behind this latest delay. They say it'll be the final delay, but um, you know I, I wouldn't put my money on it. Fair enough. Yeah,
0: I know a lot of talking to a lot of carriers. It's it's a struggle because the guys who are up and compliant and running kind of want
1: everyone else to be on the same playing field, and we you know expect that to happen, and we're we're not there. And that's right. And the reason for the delays is in the United States, you were able to self certify your device, right. and that led to about seven hundred ELDs being approved, and a lot of those companies have gone bankrupt. A lot of those companies had devices that weren't tamper proof. So Canada tried to avoid that by having a third-party certification process, which I think is a better approach. It's just caused an awful lot of delays. Yeah, understood. And
0: yeah, and it's tricky because I think what we talked about before is you know catching some of the U.S. carriers off guard as this rolls in because they'll have either self self-regulating ones or something they think is compliant but it's not. And then for you know Canadian fleet, same thing. You want to be able to kind of go back and forth, so you don't want to have to change out your whole infrastructure because you know what you have doesn't currently meet the mm-hmm. you know but what's, what's accepted, but. You know, the delays maybe help some of that as Mm -hmm. far as getting some of those, you know, equipment up up and running, but... You know, it is frustrating for the guys who are trying to be up front and be compliant from the get go.
1: Absolutely. And, um, you know, there are some small manufacturers that have been certified and some big manufacturers that haven't been certified. And sometimes that comes down to the complexity of the solution that they have. Um, If it's a complex system that does a lot more than just hours of service, it might be more difficult to get it through that certification process.
0: Yeah, no, it makes sense. And then, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about when we talked in January that has probably taken over most of the discussion, is the rising cost of fuel across Mm -hmm. the board that I don't think any of us saw this coming in the horizon at all.
1: No, we missed that one in our crystal ball. (laughs) Um, It is going to really hurt the small operators, especially, um, because, you know, those small operators that are chasing freight on the spot market, um, they're seeing spot market prices dive at the same time that fuel prices are going up. Right. And the FMCSA over the last year and a half in the States approved something like 160,000 new operators. And a lot of those were owner operators that left the big fleets because they saw the spot market rates were great. Right. They went out and started chasing the spot market rates. And now they're seeing those go down at the same time diesel's going up. Yeah. So I think the big fleets can manage the, um, through fuel charges and whatnot, they can manage the increase in diesel prices. It's the little guys that, that might struggle.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, again, talking to other carriers and customers, for us, you know, managing that, I agree, a lot of them have good relationships with with their customers and they can talk through the process as far as the fuel surcharge, where it comes from. Obviously, there's some benchmarking that they can reference to uh, depending on, on how they're structured. But Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very obvious it's front of center news. I mean, if you just drive to work and back, you're hitting it in your personal pocket, let alone your
1: professional pocket. So I don't mm-hmm. think anyone is really immune or unaware of what's going on. No, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's affecting everybody. And it'll be interesting to see if some of those uh, independent authorities that, that went out and started up over the last year and a half or so go back and lease on with the big carriers because, of course, the carriers going to give you a little bit better pricing, a little bit more stability in that fuel price. True.
0: So Yeah, they, left, they may leak all the way back to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to where they, they were left from originally. Uh, another thing we, I think we had right, and nothing's really changed for the most part, has been, you know, from from our side, as far as the equipment side, mm. um, the supply bottleneck, it's still there. I don't say it's necessarily gotten any worse, but it definitely hasn't gotten any better.
1: No, what what I've seen change is uh, no one's guessing anymore when it's going to come to an end. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, when we talked last time, people would say, well, we're seeing a little bit of improvement. Well, we think a few more months. We think maybe four to six months. I'm not hearing anybody making guesses anymore. No one knows. No. Um, as soon as one shortage is alleviated, it seems something else comes up. <laughs> and that hasn't changed. And um, yeah, when it's going to end, I don't know. Um, of course, we've got issues with, with, uh, with ports in and, yes. and China. <laughs> and right. that's going to be an issue. We're getting product over here for the, the OEMs. Um, you know, we always used to look at, at truck and trailer orders as an indicator of how well the industry is doing. And you can't really do that anymore because they're booked up through the end of the year. They don't know when they're going to be able to deliver these units. And so they're they're really cautious about taking orders. So the orders that we see aren't necessarily indicative of, of demand because the backlog is already through this year. So that's um you know it's it's difficult now to gauge how much demand there is for new trucks because the orders are just being carefully managed by the OEMs.
0: Agreed. Yeah, we see it as far as, you know, uh, being on allocation for product lines um or as far as just throttling kind of the order and in, input, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so let's just do the first half of this of, you know, 23 for example and let's see if we can make that real before we book out the second half of 23 cuz you know, we're halfway through 22 and anything that gets pushed out delayed this year is going to affect 23 and I think a lot of the OEMs have learned from the last two years of kind of how to maybe predict and manage that better because I think everyone did it differently. Some guys were on allocation. Some guys were take everything Mm -hmm. they can get. The end result was still the same. Everything was delayed with excess cost onto it. So I think now they're kind of settling into a point where like how do we manage in chunks, right? Mm -hmm. And that does affect, like you said, the marketplace because if you're using trailers or, you know, tractors as a leading indicator of the economy, it's really skewed because it's not a real gauge of,
1: you know, what what the market is. It's really a gauge of what, the OEMs think they can produce you mm-hmm. know, in the time frame that they're expecting. That's right. And, and the costs continue to go up. Uh, I've heard from individuals who have ordered a trailer and then the manufacturer comes back and says, sorry, it's going to cost you almost twice as much as what we agreed on. But if you don't want it, I've got a list of people who will take it.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, we're still seeing that. Uh, the surcharges are, are there, um, you know, because, I mean, a lot of it, again, that we didn't see coming was, you know, with, with the the challenges in Europe and the war in Ukraine. I, I think until something Again, disrupts the the supply chain. You don't really realize where
1: everything comes from. You know, a lot of steel comes from Ukraine, right. as, as we found out. And um, you know, who knew that that might affect uh, manufacturers over here on the side of the pond? <laughs> and I think there's wiring harnesses come
0: out of there mm. too. So there's enough
1: coming out of there that it starts to put a you know
0: a constraint on on the production. And mm-hmm. you know, again, not something you thought of. You're thinking, you know, we saw the the LA stuff last year as far as the port and the backlog and the visual that. And I think anyone who's been on LinkedIn and has connections, you know, within the industry. They've been posting, you know, pictures of what the Shanghai backlog mm-hmm. looks like, and it looks significantly worse than what we saw in L.A. And Absolutely. I realize not everything's coming here, but, you know, clearly that's going to have some impact on us.
1: Yeah, and, and that's why people are reticent to make any predictions as to when that problem's going to go away.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I think that's that's what we're seeing across the board, is no one's really predicting out too much. It's, mm-hmm. you know, try and get six, eight, maybe ten months in front of it, and hopefully that sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, say, on our side, as we, as we get say, three to four months within production, it's pretty solid. It may move a week or two, but everything's kind of locked in. It's the stuff further out that gets drastically impacted as
1: things get delayed, you know, currently. It keeps pushing, yeah. pushing, pushing, and then that's where the great unknown becomes, you know. And it's affecting every manufacturer, and it's affecting every type of component, even tires. I recently wrote an article about retreads, so there's tremendous demand for retreads right now because it's difficult to get offshore tires. Right, Tire prices are going through the roof. So fleets are that are already retreading are trying to do it more so. And fleets that haven't taken a look at retreading are suddenly quite interested in it.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, we see that from the OEM side at the factory, you know, all of a sudden it's like, you get a mess of tape, this brand of tires we can't get. Mm -hmm. You know, this one we can't get. And here's a tire surcharge. And, you know, even on the leasing side, you know, hey, there's going to be this much of a bump, you know, year over year for for cost of of tires, Mm -hmm. right? That's just, like I said, everything keeps skyrocketing. But guys think they have a kind of a, a secret way to get in, but then everyone knows about it mm-hmm. and it's, you know, the market can only bear what it can bear. Right? That's right. You're seeing mm-hmm. that for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, we cut up at a truck world as well, which mm-hmm. was a, it was nice to have it back it was uh, nice. after four years and, you know, see some product out on the, on the, on the floor. But I think my take from it uh, walking around was the amount of zero emission vehicles, you know, specifically, I guess here, battery electric, but mm-hmm. you know, some other, some other ones as well, but that seems to be a very prominent theme across all the OEMs and definitely the show in general.
1: Yeah, I think, I think all the manufacturers had some kind of an electric vehicle there, and the amount of electric shunt trucks blew me away as well. Yeah. Uh, terminal tractors are there. there's all kinds of electric terminal tractors at the show, and I just returned from Act Expo in Long Beach, California, and that um, was the talk of the town there as well. I think they had eighty five hundred attendees, and the last time they did an in person event a couple of years ago was five thousand. Wild. So the interest in battery electric trucks and, and further out hydrogen fuel cell is definitely growing.
0: Yeah, and I think driven by CARB twenty four coming down, which will you know definitely push a lot of anyone running into California will push them. Mm-hmm. But just the technology that's involved in meeting those regulations over the next seven eight years, that the cost of the internal combustion engine is expected to rise significantly. Mm-hmm. So. I think what fleets are starting to see is not so much that the electric technology is going to come down in price, but the cost of the internal combustion engine is going to start rising and that gap becomes not as big. And then depending where you are, you know, states or provinces that support it, you know, the incentives you get may be enough to close that gap all of a sudden where it wasn't there three,
1: four years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, The North American Council for Freight Efficiency recently came out with a report saying that today it's viable to electrify all medium-duty trucks and, and cargo vans. Yeah. You know, that might seem quite ambitious, but that's kind of that sweet spot application, isn't it, where the, the trucks are back home charging every night. So. It is. I think we talked about that last yeah. time and and probably explains why you saw some terminal tractor
0: shunt trucks mm-hmm. there because I mean they don't really leave the yard. They may go back and forth briefly, but you know, they're really the ideal application for that. You know, almost like a the forklift world, right? They're mm-hmm. they're on site, they're on premise, they can opportunity to charge during breaks and during lunches. So it, it makes sense. Um, the only thing it doesn't give a lot of companies, uh, especially the larger corporate companies who want to show you the know, public that they are green is you don't get the visibility per se as you would with a, a truck running down the street. You know? Mm-hmm. But definitely the medium-duty final-mile trucks, um, I've seen it at going to some customer expos where they've done zero-emission. And definitely the, the smaller panel vans and the medium-duty trucks is their focus because mm-hmm. of the range anxiety, but also just the ability to come back. And also just the capital cost isn't as large as a Class right. A truck. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's an easier one to get into for sure. Yeah,
1: And since we last spoke, we've seen a couple of Class 8 electric trucks come into Canada. Um, primarily in Quebec because they have some generous incentives there. They do. Uh, British Columbia has some good incentives. So I think those are the two provinces where we'll see it first. And it'll be a good indicator as to how viable they are, when, uh, especially in the wintertime.
0: Yeah, and I, I think everyone's kind of waiting for that to see, you know, how do they perform, you know, mm-hmm. and definitely in the cold weather. And I, I think from the act, I think I was reading, you know, one of the reports from from that uh, that event was... It's the infrastructure part too. Right. That's you right. gotta be able to support, especially the class eight side, you gotta be able to support it. But in order to support it, you kinda need some support somewhere to make it sense, make sense of it. So it'll be interesting to watch as this grows, like when does the government kind of let loose some of the regulation? I guess more so in the states as far as being able to, you know, third party supply power. Um, you know, outside of almost like a you know fuel station, right? Like kind right. Of the equivalent electric version of that. And I think once the regulations allow for that and there's money to be made for private companies to do it, mm-hmm. then you can start getting investment into it and then the thing will start to grow. But you know, we saw it with natural gas. It just, the infrastructure wasn't there to really right. support it.
1: Yeah, and what we're seeing in Europe is the rival OEMs are working together to build out a public uh, fueling network. Right. Uh, they're each covering the cost because they're all going to benefit, benefit from it. All their customers are going to benefit from it. So we might see that here as yeah. well. Um, of course, in Canada and the U.S., we have much greater geography. So yes. it's going to be a bigger investment. And government certainly will have a role to play as well.
0: But it makes sense because if you're all, you know, that's where it's going, clearly. And we've seen, I mean, if you look at the CARB, you know, kind of pipeline, you know, 2050 is kind of their goal of mm-hmm. zero internal combustion engines. So right. if you want to run in California, which is a large state and, you know, large, you know, a, a area for, for the market for, for Canada or the U.S. to run in and out of, uh, you're going to have to comply. Mm-hmm. And so all these large OEMs need to find a way to get there. And I think partnering together for the back end infrastructure just makes sense. Yeah.
1: We we talk so much about battery electric and, and hydrogen fuel cell because the focus from government is on zero emissions. Right. Um, I, I think it's a little bit short sighted to not look at solutions that could reduce emissions by 98%. Right. Because there are some, you know, there's clean diesel, there's renewable um, natural gas, there are some options out there that'll get you almost to zero, not entirely to zero. And they're kind of being dismissed. Agreed. And I think the new carb, I think carb 24 gets you to a really, really low
0: level, which is, which is incredible, you know, and depending on which city you're in, the air coming out of the pipes, probably cleaner than right. the air going into, you know, through the engines. So yeah. yeah, I think we're, they've made great strides where we're pretty much there, but the challenges to get to that zero or they had that almost zero in internal combustion is not necessarily impossible, but it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's very challenging. It's of challenging. course, challenging means cost. That's and, right at some point, you know, the return on investment for them to develop, you know, the R&D for it may just be easier to go to, mm-hmm. you know, hydrogen or to electric yeah. kind of thing. It might just get priced right out of the market. <laughs> yeah, which which is probably what you'll see, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you got incentives to offset the other part. And if obviously companies are investing in the infrastructure to support it, they're going to want to push then the next version, right? For so, sure. Um, you know, but to... to you know, kind of finalize on, you know, sort of positive, you know, what are we seeing, you know, overall market conditions? Like, what are you seeing from everyone you're talking to?
1: The big fleets seem to be doing quite well still, you know, and, and their earnings are all reporting record earnings. And when they talk about, when they talk to analysts, they talk about the fact that customers are not asking much about price right now. They're asking about, can you service us? Can you get the drivers? Can you get the trucks? So I think that the big fleets are doing well. As we alluded to earlier, I think it's the little guys that are really going to struggle with rising diesel costs and the falling spot market freight. But if you can't add capacity and you can't find drivers, <laughs> uh, that's going to put a floor under how low rates can go, I, I think, sure. because there's there's still going to be freight demand. Of course, now that COVID is uh, we're emerging from it, a lot of spending is going from goods to services, and that doesn't boost truck freight the way that spending on goods has over the last couple of years. So there might be a little bit of softening in, in freight, but the big fleets don't seem to be concerned at all.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like you said, we're Hopefully, I think we've said this a few times. Mm-hmm. As we're coming out of you know the, the, the bigger grips of COVID, yet yeah, interestingly, the shift in consumer spending where it goes. Um, but you know, one of the things you know through COVID, obviously, we had talked about before. Also, was the the cross border getting getting mm-hmm. you know goods across the border, especially as the the vaccine rules were coming into play. Right. I think just before we had talked, or just after we talked, I guess they kind of came in, and you know, some rumblings across you know both countries as far as you know accepting it and. But I think between the other things we've just talked about, it hasn't gone away, but I think carriers have found a way to make it work.
1: They have. I mean, Bison put into place its biggest pay increase for cross-border drivers in its history, because it had to. Because if it, even if it just lost 10% of its cross-border drivers, well, it had to entice other drivers that are just doing domestic freight to, to take up that slack. Right. But they adjusted. And we look at the border crossing numbers, and they're about what you'd expect. There hasn't been a big drop-off. So, I mean, fleets have found a way to, to make that a non-event yeah so i think you know as we kind of outlook into
0: the second half of this year we missed a few things that kind of caught us off guard mm-hmm. but i think the trend is positive i mean mm-hmm. barring anything that pops up that we didn't see before which we we had to kind of sneak up on with fuel and, and some other supply but it looks like you said market seems strong still mm-hmm. uh, the cross border part is definitely at levels that you you'd want to see it at, and growing well um and really, it's just a matter of getting enough product as far as, you know, trucks and trailers into the marketplace for the guys who are looking for it to kind of help yeah. rebalance the fleet, get new equipment in there, and kind of keep the, the maintenance spend down for them.
1: That's right. The maintenance spend is creeping up. Yeah. Any big fleet will tell you that. Um, you know, it costs a lot more to run an older truck than a newer truck, of course. But they also benefit, in a sense, because what do truck, truckers do when the times are good and there's lots of freight? They add more trucks. Right. They add more capacity. And then when it softens, you have too many trucks on the road. Yeah. are unable to do that through this cycle, so. True. Yeah. So it's kind of been, it's been an artificial kind of, you know, environment
0: to kind of work yeah. and the guys have figured out. But yeah, definitely the, the parts and, and service side has grown uh, to keep the trucks on the road. But, you know, as, as the new trucks will be to, they're obviously happy to, to finally get into stuff. And even from a driver retention point of view, you know, if yes. you've got some older trucks that are breaking down that didn't get into their purchase cycle before all this hit, they'll be happy and, you know, be able to retain some different drivers as far as having newer Better equipment and board,
1: yeah, and that's an issue that, that we touched on before that um, is never going to go away. <laughs> <Agreed>. <laughs> it seems The driver shortage. We've been talking about it for decades. Yeah, and it continues to get worse.
0: Yeah, and and you know, we see it, and I think it's interesting because with the truck world show, I mean, you have that whole section of truck world for recruitment, and you know, I walked by there, and that place was buzzing. It was mm-hmm. full. It was busy. So there is definitely interest now, whether it's just guys jumping ship and kind oh. of testing the waters, or if it's you know new people looking at it, and, hey, recognizing this is. As we've kind of learned, almost a quasi, you know, recession proof industry, like Mm -hmm. regardless of what you throw at it, goods need to move, people still need things, and trucking's the only way to kind of get it to you. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a resilient industry that if you're looking for a long term career, it'll give
1: you one. It's absolutely a viable long term career. But I think trucking kind of lacks a little bit of originality and how to attract new people to it. Yeah. You know, there are people that especially young people today that don't necessarily want to work 14 hours a day, some of it unpaid. Yeah. So I think there has to be more flexibility so that they can raise a family and support themselves, not necessarily being away from home weeks at a time and, and working 14 hour days.
0: Yeah. So I think the, the the version of a professional driver is changing. Or, or the companies need to adapt and find. And I think you're seeing it in some ways as far as the different distribution centers opening up, you know, say along the 401 corridor running north, you know, in, in Ontario, anyways, to kind of maybe break up those runs, right? So guys aren't running back and forth, back and forth to the point where they can't, you know, stop in at home. So now you can run freight across the city, drop it off, and have a different driver take it forward versus
1: having that same guy do that run all the time. Exactly. More relays, more drop and hook.
0: Yep. And it it, again allow you to retain different drivers and hopefully Mm -hmm. new drivers. And, you know, the schools have done a good job at trying to partner with those companies as well to get them qualified people coming in, you know, as soon as they're they're out of their training part anyways. Mm -hmm. So...
1: And another surprise, I would say, six months into the years, I thought there'd be more M&A activity. I thought there'd be more big deals being made. True. and I, We just haven't seen it yet. Now, maybe maybe that's still to come this year, but um, I thought there'd be more more de- wheeling and dealing. That was kind
0: of the, I know when we talked about it, it was kind of one of the, the key items, especially of, say, 2020, 2021, was, yeah, definitely some large, significant you know, M&As. Um, and part of it may be the big ones maybe are done and maybe mm-hmm. guys are starting to see, like you said, the, the pricing come up. Now, fuel sure. pricing may start to change some of that and that may create some opportunities. But, you know, if if the rates are coming up and the fleets are kind of steady, then... That's not when guys want to sell, right? They want to Mm -hmm. sell when, you know, things are kind of uncertain, traditionally. Um, And that's kind of what we saw, obviously, through the COVID piece. Maybe guys that couldn't necessarily get through on their own. But, yeah, I'll be interested to see what comes out in the next six months to 12 months as far as potential acquisitions.
1: And I I wonder if some of that has to do as well with what we talked about before with aging fleets. Yeah. I mean, now there's going to be a significant capital investment made in any fleet that you acquire in order to bring it up up to the age that you'd like it to be agreed so part of it is availability equipment so you're going to have to if you haven't bought
0: trucks in a couple years so if you normally buy 10 trucks a year now you got to buy 30 right right Mm -hmm. to get the fleet up and running you know maybe 40 to get in front of the next year so there's the capital costs in that but also the increase that the cost now that the trucks now cost sorry Mm -hmm. that you know you know for every five ten trucks you know it's an extra two or three trucks you could have had but you've paid an additional costing so yeah, there might be some fleets that just need the financial support behind them of a larger company to kind of get them up to speed. And I think as you alluded to last time we were talking is the, the merger and acquisition allows them to pick up lanes, pick up drivers that maybe some larger companies can't retain. So it right. you know it might be a different reason than it was before right. as far as partnering and, and doing some mergers for sure. Mm-hmm. So well, it'll be interesting to see where this shakes out, and mm-hmm. you know, I think we've got some here as far as we, we we touch base again towards the end of the year, and let's see uh, let's see how close we got on this one. <laughs> Outlook <Okay. laughs> for twenty three, but you know, it's uh, I think I think overall, I think the industry is healthy and it's positive. Mm-hmm. I think truck World, I think, helps show that and kind of reinforce that. You know, there's a lot of new technology coming. There's a lot of interesting things to look forward to. Gotta get through, you know, the the remnants of what we've been going through for the last couple of years, but hopefully it'll start to kind of stabilize, especially as we get into twenty three and start to normalize as far as availability
1: of equipment for especially for carriers. That's
0: right, yeah. So well, well let's uh let's touch base in six months and see what see what we've we've gotten right and see what we've gotten wrong.
1: Okay, sounds good. Thanks, All right. Jason.
0: Well that concludes today's episode and I wanna thank James from today's Trucking and Truck News. Dot com for joining us. To catch up on past episodes, check out transportationexchangepodcast.ca. Until next time, thanks for listening.